<laughs> Greetings, citizens. You're now trapped in a nerd cage with your hosts, Mark and Jay. We hope you have a smashing good time. Yeah. <laughs> it's holiday season. Hello and welcome. That's right. You're trapped in nerd cage live this ain't just a reaction show but a debate show and a live discussion on everything that makes people like you and i tick so thank you for joining us tonight please hit that like button and subscribe i'm your co-host jay saint g coming to you live from syracuse new york and always with me my man the fiend from louisville the warrior from wakanda mark withers introduce our guest man Hey man, what's going on? Super excited to be here as usual. And yes, today we have a very special episode for you because we have our extended family here uh, with us from uh, Nerd Cage Live. From Off the Beaten Podcast, we have Dion McGill. How are you, sir? I'm great, I'm great. So happy to be here with you guys. Awesome, awesome. And we also have uh, voice actor extraordinaire and the voice to our intro and outro, uh, Matthew Farden. How are you, sir? I am good. Let's get ready to Nerd Cage Live. <laughs> History's being made right now. You're the first ever <laughs> guest on the podcast. Right, Yay! right. Normally we have guests on the live stream that we do every Thursday, but as far as the podcast is concerned, you guys are the very first guests and we can't think of a more fitting set of guests to sort of help us out with this particular episode. Now, as far as the episode itself, this look back that we're doing today, we are actually talking about the 30th anniversary of the family classic, the Christmas classic, Home Alone. Now, I want to know what you guys think of this movie because I know what I think because I was a little bit older when it came out. You guys were kids. So I want to know like exactly like how this movie sort of affected you guys. Like, like how does it touch you guys? Who wants to go first? <laughs> you go ahead, Matthew. Uh, I'll, I'll, all right. <laughs> uh, well, man, I mean, 30 years ago, yeah. Night. So to put it in the put it into perspective, I was born 1991. I came. I oh, was. Wow. I came out. I came out a year after this came out. Wow. <laughs> so, <to speak>. uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Put that. That puts it into context. Uh, I, man, I I remember. I think I was. I think it was five, six, or seven. It was between five and seven, I think, was the first time my parents uh, showed it to us. My brother had just been born. Um, so I remember watching on Christmas. I remember uh, being my dad and my mom and I were in our PJs Christmas morning with the dog. And we were just watching on the old JVC TV. And I was just like, you know, I it was funny. I liked it. I guess I guess especially because being around the age where Kevin McAllister is like there, you can kind of just you're you're relating more with him like you know stupid parents i don't i don't like this i just want to be on my own and uh and of course you know my first introduction to the great the not not just the great joe pesci but also um uh uh i'm, I'm blanking daniel I, stern Daniel Stern. Yeah, I I can't believe I did that. Yeah, Daniel Stern. So the great Daniel Stern and Joe Pesci and I just I just had such a blast. I had such a blast watching the film 
And it was interesting. I mean, I'll admit, I haven't watched it in a very long time. Of course, uh, uh, getting older, I can understand why it would appeal to like the younger audiences. But I will admit, it is still a great family movie. And I can see where a lot of people, even as they get older, still love watching it. Once in a while, I'll still watch it uh, for Christmas. I mean, my, my family and I still watch Christmas Vacation as our tradition, like our traditional family right. comedy. But I love Home Alone. I love the cast of characters. I love the premise. Uh, even though it's got plot holes here and there, but it's one of those. No, we'll get to that. Pop- <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm not gonna jump the gun, but it's one of it's a popcorn movie. You just watch it; it's hilarious. Kevin's being a little, you know, he's basically being a little shit, and it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> and it's fun. I I, I like it. So, All right. Yeah. <laughs> and what so, are your thoughts, Dion? Yeah, you know, um, I actually like we before we became recording. I, I mentioned I watched it this morning because it'd been a while. Uh, when this movie came out, I would have been 11. And um, it, it. I watched it this morning. I don't. And if you ever ask me about like things like this, I never remember when I first, like, I don't remember first seeing the movie. I'm certain I saw it in the theater because I had an older sister. So any movies that were kind of like big releases, she'd take me to the movie to see. So I'm sure that she took me, uh, you know, and I'm sure I enjoyed it. Over time, uh, the thing that kind of grabs me most, and it's funny because just, watching it this morning and those opening credits i was like oh man this is a john hughes movie baby and (laughs) john hughes movies have like a special because i now i grew up watching john hughes movies right Right. like i've seen like even the ones that aren't popular and john hughes was just a master at capturing emotions Mm -hmm. and it's funny because to me i can't i've never been able to even today as an adult i can't relate to anything in john hughes movies other than those universal truths about like kids not getting along with their parents or whatever you know right. there's all these kids that live in this like you know these rich neighborhoods that have cars <laughs> like, <laughs> and you know sneaking off to places i'm like man my mom would have beat me 50 shades of blue like that don't happen in my house you know, right. <laughs> you know like watching this morning kevin you know something like in, a, in the early scenes when kevin's like i hate you and i hate my mom would have like put me through a wall g i, I can't relate <laughs> but uh but like John Hughes was just a master at capturing emotions in these moments. And so watching it today, I was just like, ah, oh, I, I get why I like the movie. Uh, as Matt mentioned, it has some, like as an adult now, especially, I'm like, it's got some plot holes. It's got some things you're like, mm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know, and it, but it's fun and it's funny. Uh, I still, I still like it. You know, it's not a movie I probably even watch every year. Um, kind of my traditional, the movie I love watching every year is Scrooged. That's my Christmas movie. Uh, but, mm. you know, mm. I, I love the film. Uh, it's fun. It's funny. And uh, I think it's one of those movies that generationally, depending on when you watch it, you kind of relate to the movie differently and the characters differently. Like now, as a parent and adult myself, I'm like, damn. <laughs> like, you know, like I'm glad my kids don't act like this. You know, like <laughs> I've done a good job as a parent. You know, that's like kind of how I look at it now. So, uh, but it's great to revisit it, and uh, it definitely brought back like just in my mind uh, just nostalgic feelings. You know, and I'm like, oh, this is such a cool movie. You know, um, and especially like who has not quoted uh you know uh keep the change a filthy animal you know like <laughs> i remember like almost two years of time i would say that to everyone about anything like <laughs> keep the change <laughs> leave so, it on the doorstep and get the hell out 
Yes. Oh, wow. You sound exactly like them. Yeah. <laughs> calling, calling your friends snakes, you know? Come here, snakes. You know, like, that's just, you know, it was such a cool thing. So, yeah, I enjoyed it, and it's great to revisit it. Hey, so, Jason, what are your thoughts on this? I love this movie. Oh, no. This is still my favorite Christmas movie. And hold on. I want everybody to see my sweater. <laughs> Buzz, your girlfriend. Woof. <laughs> one of the best lines ever that's just the thing there's those one-liners there's the slapstick and again you got the john c hughes element in there this is a coming right. of age movie you can relate to kevin everyone has had that older brother older sibling uh or cousins that you just you know that just got under your skin and just make, it makes you like oh i'm just tired of my family but at the end of the day you know, the, the one thing I love was this movie executes so beautifully is this this movie, this Christmas movie is about family. It's about the most important thing in the holidays is your family, not not Santa Claus, not all the gifts, not everything. Else. It's about family. And that's a beautiful thing. That's why everybody can relate to this no matter what your background is. Now, the uh, the other thing, cool, cool, some cool elements is the director, Chris Columbus, right? Across Harry Potter movies. And then, of course, you have an excellent score from John Williams. Mm. We don't even go, we don't, we don't even go, the, the John Williams, the name itself alone, you should know all the movies that he's scored and stuff. And right. it's like, oh, such a, such a turn of the, such a turn of the century combo. You've got, you know, Hughes, you know, Williams and Columbus. It's, it's, it's just like, man, what a trifecta oh, yeah. to go with that. I did notice, though, Columbus, he seems to, he seems to go in twos. Because he directed the first and the second one, and then mm -hmm. he did the first and the second Harry Potter, so yeah. he seems to have like a good streak with like twos. Right, right, and and the interesting thing about this uh, about that part is that uh, Chris Columbus was not the original intended director. So there was another director that was sort of on board in the infancy of like the movie when it was being developed. Yeah, but. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as there were sort of delays and sort of things that were happening at Warner Brothers, they lost that director to another film. And uh, it just happened that Chris Columbus, who was on National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, decided to quit that movie halfway through because he was having issues with Chevy oh. Chase. So they had no this surprise. Big, they had this big dust up. And then he wound up leaving that project and suddenly he became available. And so when uh, John Hughes was looking for a replacement director, he just happened to come up and was like, ah, perfect choice. And so he grabbed him and that wound up being yep. sort of the, win the winning combination there. Yes. So I was just turning four when the movie came out. And here's the thing. I'll be completely honest with everybody here. My parents took me, my, actually my mother took me to see it in Syracuse uh, in the movie theater and I fell asleep. <laughs> but I ended up catching it on home video. The, the movie blew up. Okay, when this movie right. came out, did really anybody expect it to be a hit? Because it was, because Mark, you, you told me off camera that it was, it was a pretty small budget. Right, right. So, so yeah, so a little history behind that is that um, when John Hughes first approached Warner Brothers to do this movie, I thought it was um, Fox. Or, well, here's the story behind that. Oh, so, okay. So, so yeah, so originally um, he pitched this movie to Warner Brothers. They were interested in doing it, but they gave him sort of a proviso, like, okay, the caveat is that you have to keep this under 10 million bucks. So he agreed to that, but sort of under cover of darkness, he had kind of sneaked 
a script over to 20th Century Fox saying, hey, if there's a turnaround with this movie and if something kind of goes wrong, uh, would you be interested in financing it? They um, sort of agreed to, to go ahead and do that, but he, he kept on with Warner Brothers. They started their production and within a short amount of time, the movie was already over budget. They were already at like 14.5 million uh, and they needed more money. So, uh, so Warner Brothers wanted them to sort of slash their budget, sort of like make changes to sort of make things fit. They refused. And so they stepped in, the executive stepped in and halted production, not knowing that Fox was waiting in the wings. And then production just resumed from there. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> See, Mark spitting the oh, yeah. facts, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's amazing the histories behind like all these like iconic classic movies, you know, right. it's a, especially like with Back to the Future and like a bunch of them. It's it's amazing what what type of production held that a lot of them had to go through. Right. And see, as a kid, I just loved like the one-liners, okay? You know, like the buzz, your girlfriend, and you guys give up, you're thirsty for more, oh, come, hey, you better come pound me, you know, like stuff like that. And we, we, we would quote that stuff in school. We'd quote that in Boy Scouts and everything else. You know, I'd be watching this on home video every year, you know, with my family. And here's the thing. Yeah, as a kid, like the, the, the besides the one is the traps, okay? Everyone talks about the <laughs> traps and the traps are amazing, they're funny, it's slapstick, it's goofy, it's unrealistic, but it's great. The second one obviously took it to the next level with the traps, but I still but the traps is what you remember. But then as you get older, and as as watching as an adult this morning, there's those uh, adult jokes in there that you don't catch as a kid that you laugh at and you can enjoy the movie as a whole okay yep. you enjoy them not just the traps you enjoy the movie as a whole and it's just and it's just so funny and the characters in the movie and you see as a kid like to me like it was it was the wet bandits that, that made the movie to me but as i get older it's the other characters in the family there that that make me laugh so hard right. like Bud, the asshole brother that you know everyone's had that <laughs> older sibling that just terrorized you but then, all right, uh, Matt, cue it up. But the other character I love in this movie that makes me laugh in both movies that no one talks about enough <laughs> is that goddamn Uncle Frank. Yes. <laughs> that! I know! You're, you're just waiting to say it. Say it! <laughs> Look what you did, you little jerk. <laughs> he is such right. an awful uncle like oh my god yeah. i'm sure everyone's got that one family member that one that either whether if it's like a, oh, a cousin yeah. or an uncle that, that just that one like that you just can't stand and then like re-watching yep. the like i laugh so hard like so that one scene where um kevin goes up to that that fake santa who's who's like you know getting a parking ticket and goes, listen, listen, I know you talked to Santa Claus. Can you just ask him to bring my family back? And if he has enough time, Uncle Frank, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fun Go fact ahead. about Uncle Frank is that that part was written specifically for Kelsey Grammer. And oh! was originally Yo, was yeah. supposed to be Uncle Frank, but there was a scheduling problem and he couldn't do do the movie and so they got this other actor who wound up just being perfect for it <laughs> well, you're perfect. Yeah. Sad, but like he's the cheapskate he grabs all the pizzas like oh yeah my brother's gonna take care of it yes. and then he's on the and then he's on the airplane <laughs> he's on the airplane and he's like oh my god this is real diamond silverware he's like, put it in your purse put it in your purse <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. I'm just saying, that's what I'm saying. Like, no one talks about Uncle Frank. Like, Uncle Frank is just like, it's just, it's, it's just awesome in that movie. As much as you want to hate him, <laughs> as much as you want to like sympathize for Kevin, you know, you know, and of course the other thing, like, Fuller, easy on the Pepsi. <laughs> Very young Kieran Culkin, who's now uh, a star in his own right on HBO Succession. Excellent oh, yeah. actor. He's grown up to become like a, an amazing force on his own. But yeah, and that, I mean, the, the crazy, well, the big disappointment for me is that he has like no lines in that entire movie. You just see him like the one scene where he, his face gets smushed against the wall by the chair. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh my God. Oh, oh. And he's like, ah. <laughs> Mark. I'm just, I'm petrified to ask you anything right because I feel like you're like waiting to, Mark, okay, I know you're older than us, right. and I know like you rewatched it over the weekend and you were messaging me. So yeah. Mark, <laughs> I'm sure you're ready to like just crush on my childhood dreams right now. What, what, how do you feel about the movie overall? Okay, so let me preface this with a couple things, right? So I have a I have a, a a hard and fast policy to sort of not yuck on anybody else's yum, right? So you know that aside you know i also need to to preface this by saying that while most people who adore this movie were children i was 19 years old when it came out and so i didn't it wasn't a movie that i rushed out to see in theaters and when i finally did see it uh like on tv it didn't like impress me all that much right like i did i wasn't all that moved for it i don't have like a big nostalgic connection to it but the other side of that is that I do recognize that the performances in it are are all great. You know, I think that Joe Pesci mm. really steals the show and uh, and also, you know, a very small but very uh, important character is, is uh, the character that John Candy plays. You know, I just thought that he like I really wish that he was in that movie a lot more. But I mean, he was just like I, I just really thought he was awesome in it. And, you know, uh, you know, uh, a fun fact about that is that he improvised all of those scenes that he was what? in. What? I was 100 percent improvisation. So the, 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 so the funeral thing that he was referencing, he, he just went he, all on the fly. All on wow. the fly. He he did that. He was available. That's a great for, line. Yeah, he was available for one day, and he had been friends with John Hughes, and I guess they had yep. bonded over Uncle Buck and Uncle stuff Buck, like that. Yeah, because Macaulay Culkin so, was in that too. Right, and so he agreed to do the movie for you know he agreed to appear in the movie for free, but you can't really because of SAG rules. You have to get paid scale at least. So he he did the movie for four hundred and fourteen dollars under the condition that he could improv all of his lines. And so wow. everything that you see that. there, he just he just created on the fly. I mean, the guy was just magic. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he he to me, he's like the best part of that movie, even though he's the smallest part. You know, um, and just overall, I have like a a, a, a a tremendous respect for this movie and sort of what it has become, like in terms mm -hmm. of nostalgia, in terms of it uh, being the Christmas movie that it is. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, it does have that that aspect of it that sort of hits you in the feels, particularly with the old man who everybody thinks is a serial killer. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Old man Marley, right? Yep. Old man Marley, and you find out the whole, you know, the the deal with him being estranged from his family, and then you know him being reunited with his family at the end. You know, you know, I think that little scenes like that, you know, 
the little finishing touches like that are what really make that movie special mm -hmm. and what make it uh, a memorable movie for adults, for people who are yeah. older, you know what I mean? That, that saw that movie before, you know, their adolescence or after their adolescence, I should say. It's a, it's a perfect, it's, and why, why this movie was all, will always hold up with every single generation because it's the perfect Christmas story because it basically shows that, at, that life isn't perfect. Everyone comes from different backgrounds, different areas, different things are happening. But at the end of the movie, what I love, and especially how Hughes is really good at like what Dion was saying about, you know, getting those human elements and really showing the human condition and everything. Like, I love how at the end, it just buttons it right up. You know, you know, right. the family comes back back they're happy they're arresting the guy the policemen are like well we can go home for christmas now and you know and then the old man's reunited with his with his family and it just shows like i love how they put that button you know i mean if anybody hasn't seen it sorry spoilers this movie's been out for <laughs> it's only years. been out for 30 years i gotta feel old uh but it just it just encompasses that nobody's perfect but when it comes to christmas everybody should have a good christmas everybody should come together and just realize it's a time regardless of your religious background or whatever it is it's just a holiday season where everyone comes together and just is like one is like a is like one unit and i love how they button that up with the with the you know perfect comedic timing <laughs> and just like the tropes and, and I, it's great I just love it. And of course, because those are the two things. One, John Candy playing the clarinet, and two, the old man getting Kevin down from him going, come on, let's get you home. <laughs> okay, we gotta talk about the fan theories. Okay, I, this is what I was, I was excited for, because this is where I really get to let loose with you guys. All so right. there are so many fan theories that developed over the years, thanks to the internet, um, about this movie, and you can watch this movie with different uh, perspectives. But we just talked about John Candy's character and the old man. I'm going to get to that right off the bat. I'm going to start with those two because we were just fresh off that topic. Okay. So, fun fact, there's a fan theory out there, and it's not a bad one, that John Candy is Satan. Because... <laughs> <laughs> Hear me out. It's not a bad theory. So she's at, she's at the Scranton airport, <laughs> and she's like, um... I would sell, sell my soul to the devil himself to get to my son. And all of a sudden, whoa, 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 here comes John Candy, poka poka. And it's poka's the devil. <laughs> well, no, no, that's just the thing. <laughs> because in some, hear me out. The uh, the devil, if, if, if in the Bible, like they, they said that the devil's uh, instrument, the uh, his preference of instrument is a wind instrument. The devil plays wind instruments. That's what it's like in, in religious lore. So well, someone, someone should uh, tell Charlie Daniels that, because <laughs> apparently the devil plays the fiddle. But yeah, well, that's why he lost, like, because oh, he didn't, oh, he didn't you know, he didn't battle yeah, like yeah. a clarinet player. He battled a fiddler, and that he wasn't proficient. He wasn't good enough. I'm just saying something to think about. She sells her soul to the devil, who happens to be right there, and he plays a wind instrument. Two, keep it in the religious stuff here. Uh, that old man Marley is Jesus Christ. And because you see the Band-Aid on his hand where Christ had the nail hammered through his hand. Oh, <laughs> right, right. Ooh, yeah. Wow. We're cooking with butter yeah. now. Making no pun intended. I, I mean, I, I love both of them, but man, that's, man. A, that's a lot. <laughs> See, you make it, you're, you're thinking now. You're thinking now. Now you're like thinking to yourself now, like, oh my God, it's making sense now. And remember, he talks to Kevin, like Kevin didn't talk to him until he was in the church. 
-hmm. Yeah, that's true. So that's true. the other thing, too. Yeah. And like I said, the bandaid on the hand, he finally talks to him in the church, and, and, and he's the one that kind of guides Kevin, like, back, you know, about his family, how family family is important and stuff. So yeah. I'm just saying it's a fan theory. I just think it's a really, really, it's a, it's a fun fan theory. Don't, it's not, it's yeah. not cold hard mm -hmm. fact. It hasn't been confirmed by any of the, by any of the writers or the studio. It's just, it's just one of many fun fan theories about home alone. That's what makes this movie so magical because you could watch it with different perspectives with, mm -hmm. with the fan theories that are out there. Now that makes, well, and I don't want to say it makes sense, but it kind of, um, it kind of coincides with like a question that I had about the John Candy scenes, right? So I was, I, when I was rewatching it the other day, like one thing that really bugged me was that you, John Candy just came out of the blue. Like he overheard Catherine O'Hara's yeah. character, like talk about like how much she needed to get home. And then he just like volunteers to like, you know what I mean? I couldn't help but overhear. Because she sold like, her soul to the devil. Right, That's and I'm saying, I'm saying, like the whole time I'm watching, I'm like, what's in it for him? Like, what well, you know what I mean? Like, why is he doing this? You know what I mean? And that's never, they they never like flesh that out. It's just like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, well, we're going to Milwaukee, Chicago's on the way. Like if you had to drive from Scranton, Pennsylvania to Milwaukee, you're not really wanting to make a lot of stops. You know what I mean? Like, so I was yeah, like- that's a long ass drive. Why that's, is a, he... that's at least 14 hours. Yeah, so yeah, the whole time I was just like, well, what's, What's really in it for him? Like, are they going to reveal that? And they never did. But your theory kind of like makes that makes it make sense to me. I wish <laughs> I could take credit for that theory. I really <laughs> wish I could take credit for that. It's it's not one I came up with with my own. I fully right. I wish I yeah. could uh, come up with that one on my own. Now, um, now here here's, are some other. Here's oh, what happened. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, here's what happened. So he drops it off. They're they're in a big ass uh, panel wagon or in like one of those U, U one of those U hauls. He's mm -hmm. with all these guys. I personally think so. They have Christmas. Then they go away for a second. He pulls back coming through, and then they just ransack the house. And they already have the they already have the van. <laughs> the end. <laughs> How it should have ended. If they were they were actually just con art. They were just looking yeah. for. They just wanted to help like rich people out, and then find out where they went home. We just right. turned good Samaritans into thieves in like ten seconds. It was like two seconds. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I do best. <laughs> the end. The end. Oh, no. Anyways, you were saying, Jay. Well, no, I want to ask Dion because he's the Chicago native. I, I, I want to know, like, have you been to that house? And have you had any stories to tell us about, like, the making of the movie? Or you know anything about that house that where the movie primarily takes place in? So most of the John Hughes movies occur in Winnetka. Right. I've actually been to Winnetka mm. twice, and both of those have actually been by bike. The one thing I'll tell you about Winnetka is you have to pay to get on the beaches in Winnetka. And that's about all I ever tell somebody about Winnetka. <laughs> like, it's not a, well, it's I not a neighborhood I hang out in. <laughs> so I've actually <laughs> never been to the house um, because, I, well, it's, it's opposite the side of Chicago that I live on. And even the, I used to work in Evanston. So Evanston is just south of Winnetka. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just, it, it's that, that, you know, the whole area is called the Gold Coast. It's very Upscale. money. And mm -hmm. and I don't, and I, I mean, just oh, yeah. reality is I've never really felt comfortable. Even the times I've been to Winnetka, I'm like, oh, let's go. You know, it's just not a, a part of town I venture to. Uh, and it's interesting because I actually went on Google Earth uh, the other day just to like look i was like oh let me look at the house you can't even see it on google maps it's blurred out the entire property 
So when you go wow. on it, it's wow. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, there's a fence now. So the, the house is surrounded by a fence. It has tons of tree cover, uh, but you actually can't even see it on Google Earth or Google Maps. It's completely blurred, blurred out. Uh, so I told myself that I am going to go see it at some point. Uh, I, I, I'm assuming probably maybe during the holiday. I'm assuming that neighborhood has a lot of Christmas lights. So I'm thinking maybe I'll take a drive up there um, during the winter and check it out this year because I've actually never been. At, I mean, that thing yeah, is house, you do that, that mansion, dude. That thing is that's a massive house. Dude. Yeah. yeah. If you look at the block that it's on, there's a lot of them. <laughs> I just love that one line. Oh, uh, remember Buzz with that one line? He's just like, "Listen, who cares if Kevin's home alone? Okay, we live in the most boring neighborhood where nothing ever happens." Exactly. And he's telling the truth. I'm yeah. sure exactly what he, nothing happened. That just that that writing is just just uh, make me feel nothing happened. And you know, and it's I don't ever say any of that to say it's a bad neighborhood or, or anything like that. Um, mm -hmm. I was actually doing some reading where they the uh, Chris Columbus did like set up office was actually at the now the old high school and that's New Trier. And if you know anything about like high school, I used to be an educator. New Trier is one of the best schools in the entire country. You know, so it's a, you know, it's a nice community, uh, but it yeah. is very upscale. You know, it's not somewhere I'm going to live. So, so. <laughs> to, be, to, be, to be honest, like. Not I, with the, that the attitude. Those... <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Dion. Positive thing. I love it. <laughs> okay. So you guys ready for some fun trivia? I got I got a couple of them for you guys. Maybe you guys knew this. Maybe you guys didn't. Maybe uh, whoever's listening, if you guys uh, know this, great. If you didn't, you're going to learn something new today. So I got two um, fun facts about uh, some of the tidbits of, during the film of the movie. So one of the funniest obnoxious scenes is the scene where Kevin puts the tarantula on Marv's face. Right. <laughs> so when he, fun fact, when he screamed, he didn't actually scream. That He dubbed his own scream into the movie there because if he screamed, the tarantula would have reacted. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that that, that, that's actually a fake. That's actually his scream is dubbed in. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that scream is so fabulous, though. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's, it, it builds, it's like delayed. It's like, and you think you just see his face light. Like, that is one of those great moments of acting. You know, it's just like, yes, you know. Daniel Stern is one of the few on camera actors, and I will go to the grave with this, who can literally perfect, like, scared. Like a hundred percent, like he can encapsulate, you know, males, females, like everybody's like generalized reaction, like a genuine reaction if a tarantula was on their face or if something happened. Like every time he would do that, and he's just like, he's just like, <laughs> <laughs> and, when, and just the screams that he does, and, ah! he's like, oh my god, it's like that right there, exactly, Dion. That yeah. is like perfect acting, and and to be honest. I understand it's a comedy and a lot of comedies don't get awarded, you know, a lot of awards and stuff like that. But Daniel Stern should have gotten an Oscar for that. Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern should have gotten Oscars for those performances. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. I got one more fun fact to spit yeah, because I got the sweater on. So the famous buzz your girlfriend scene. Yep. Mm -hmm. So the picture of his girlfriend there, um, again, not to put anybody down, but it was actually a boy in a wig because they didn't want to offend if they if they, they didn't want to offend a girl, right? So you know, and then when they want to you know really hurt like you know any girl that was gonna pose for a picture and be insulted like that. So it's actually mm -hmm. the 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 girlfriend you see in the picture frame there is actually a boy in a wig. Oh wow! I 
I actually have heard that before. And there's something about that that just like, like I'm 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 definitely a John Hughes fanboy. Always will be. There's something about that it totally even makes it more endearing that he was like, there's no way we could take a teenage girl and yeah. just like totally call her a dog. You know, like <laughs> we just can't do it. So what do we do? And then they're like, let's put a wig on that kid. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I should have just. There's just something about it that just made me makes me go, John got it though. You know, saying yeah. he really got it. They I, hope yeah. I hope that kid now adult is listening right now because we would love to have you on the show to talk about that, how that came about. <laughs> yep. Oh, oh, one hundred percent. Right. <laughs> I, 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 that'd be funny if they did a blooper, like if they did a behind the scenes at the end of it, and they actually did like a photo shoot with like Pesci in the wig. <laughs> that would have been hilarious. Just seeing him, and you see the gold tooth in his uh, in his smile. Oh, no. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of Pesci, he's another one that that almost uh, wasn't in the movie. So that uh, that role that he plays was actually written uh, for Robert De Niro. And Robert oh. De Niro turned the movie yep. down. They then offered it to John Lovitz. John Lovitz couldn't do the movie. And so they offered it to a couple of other different actors. And eventually they got to Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci accepted the role, but he didn't particularly like the script. Like he had problems with the script and he also had issues with the call time. So normally because you're working with children, there's a rule and I'm sure that you uh, know this, you know a little bit about this, Matt. Um, when you're working with children, you can't um, do certain scenes past 10 p.m. Like you have to stop production. So in exactly, order, to, yep. in order to, to do some of those scenes, you have to have a very early call time, like 7 a.m. or maybe before that. Um, Pesci didn't want to do anything before 9 a.m. And so it caused this massive conflict to where he almost didn't get the role or uh, he may have gotten the role, but he, I think he became like, he got really close to being fired, but eventually they they worked everything out to where they could kind of uh, change the call time, but then um, basically expand the production time from six weeks to eight weeks, which then caused this other domino effect where Daniel Stern was like, well, if, you're, if we're gonna do eight weeks instead of six weeks, I want more money. <laughs> so he got fired from the from the production. They brought in Daniel Roebuck, who's another uh, comedic actor, but he had problems with Joe Pesci. And so they got rid of him and got Daniel Stern back and worked out whatever they needed to work out so that they could have him for the eight weeks. And that's mm -hmm. how that that all came about. Yeah, Mark, wow, does his homework. Every Mark day. does his homework, man. That is yes. I, just, I am I, I am a nerd sense man so like you know when we call this nerd cage live you know my, uh, my picture is under the, the nerd part. He's, he's more of a nerd i'm in the film industry and he's more of a nerd i didn't even know half this stuff and i i usually am i usually know like random tidbits and stuff so it's like it's really refreshing to you know to, to hear mark talk about that like mark's always on top oh, of the shit thank you I just mm -hmm. can't stop thinking about Joe Pesci being they're like, Joe, there's kids in the movie. He's like, screw them kids. I ain't coming before nine. <laughs> Not coming before nine. We film when I see. It's just so funny because I gotta be on seven in the morning. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, De Niro and Pesci were fresh off of Goodfellas. Goodfellas right. came out the same year. Right. Exactly. And that might be why, how they ended up. 
uh, talking about Joe Pesci because they were probably, you know, just throwing out actors and they probably saw them in scenes together and thought thought about that. That that would have been the weirdest thing. Like that would have been the weirdest thing if Robert De Niro was that character, especially when he's like slide when he like slides down the the stairs and stuff like that. Right. It just be so <laughs> fucking weird. It would just be weird because he'd just be like, "Oh, my back." <laughs> oh, damn kids hey kid come on let me in the house happy <laughs> oh. firing everybody yes. there. give it up yes. ah, well you know i just ah, that's what i do uh. <laughs> but i would have loved to have seen that now think like thinking about it now like i'm like oh i would have loved to seen that like i don't i don't know he, i don't know if he did any comedic acting early in his career but when you get like later to meet the fockers like i actually really enjoy seeing de niro do comedy like it's yes because he because he does have those like kind of like it's always like a dry comedy right he's right. not he's oh, not yeah, doing yeah. slapstick and so it would have been very interesting to see him like doing those stunts and, and those moments where you just kind of like, he'd have been like, I'm going to kill this kid, but it would have been kind of like. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, it would be even more, yeah, exactly. It would, but it'd be more suspicious when Kevin's father's there and he's just like, oh, I see. So you're just like going to house and stuff like that. And he just goes, hey, you know, your house is in good hands. <laughs> it's like, I don't know if I trust him even more. I mean, obviously in the thing with Pesci still yes. is just, you know, he's like, don't worry, it's in good hands. And then he does a little thing. Like, yes. it's whatever, but uh, but it would just be even like more like obvious that like, he's like, Yo, you know, I'm casing the joint. <laughs> <laughs> to be continued. Ooh, trying to get out of the nerd cage, are ya? Well, before you go, hit that subscribe button. And if you're really intrigued, ring that bell. Thank you for dropping by. Until next time, tell everyone you know about Nerd Cage Live! <laughs>